0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Barry. It's good to see you again. And uh, I'm the campus pastor at Taramara and part of the team here. And really glad you could be with us uh, today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Belinda, too, for leading us uh, in worship. And, um, you know, why is it that this morning, as we were part of the service, we really leaned in when Jordan was telling his story about his tooth? And why is it that when uh, Harper and and um, when Harper was being interviewed by Kristen, we listened in a lot more than maybe we might be listening now? I don't know. Why is it that we love to watch a movie, or we love to read a good book or a good novel, or sometimes for some of us we watch a uh, television drama, or we might watch a reality TV show? Or sometimes it might be because we're listening to someone tell the story of their drama because maybe they're a drama queen and they always have a story to tell. Why is it that we lean into a story? It's because we love stories. As human beings there's a part of who we are, we just love to hear stories and one of the things that makes up a good story is there's one or two characters, there's going to be a bit of a plot. There's sometimes some problems or a problem in the story. There's a tension, and eventually there's an outcome. Uh, hopefully, it ends with they lived happily ever after, or it all worked out well in the end. Uh, every story, in every story, there is people that make decisions. And one of the things about decisions is every decision we make has a consequence, and every decision that we make forms part of the story. And today we're looking at this series called Good Questions and uh, in our series Sam started it off last week and today I want to ask the question, what story is your life telling? What story do you want your life to tell? And I want to welcome all of those of you who are watching online as well today and that's the question we're looking at. What story do you want your life to tell? Because every one of us has a story to tell And whether we know it or not, our life right now is telling a story. And in that story, there are different scenes and there are different chapters and sometimes there are different themes in the story of the story of our life. And today, I want us to um, understand and ask the question, what story does our life tell? Here's a truth. Apart from God, as far as it depends on us, We write our stories, we write the story of our life one decision at a time. One decision at a time, apart from God and as far as it depends on us, we write that story. Because every decision that we make has a consequence. Every decision we make has a consequence and forms the story. Now, I want to tell you about a guy called Solomon. He lived about 3,000 years ago. He lived uh, in Israel... Uh, he became the king and he made decisions where he explored in his decisions that he made, he was exploring the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And he tried to find out what life was all about, what the purpose was. And he tried it in all kinds of different ways. He, he, He tried work and he did work and he worked hard and he said, it's meaningless. And then he tried wealth and he became a very wealthy person. And he said, Wealth, it's meaningless. And he tried all kinds of things. He he tried doing he built gardens, he built royal palaces and gardens, and he did some amazing things. He became very famous. He tried power and pleasure and many other things. And his story is amazing. But in the quest for meaning, and the quest for purpose of life, Solomon wrote a couple of books. He wrote the book of Proverbs. And by the way, the book of Proverbs is a fantastic book to read, full of wisdom. But he wrote another book called Ecclesiastes. It's only 12 chapters, quite short. But in Ecclesiastes, he helps us understand the meaning of life. And in many ways, it's his testimony. It's his story that he shares through Ecclesiastes and then we come to Ecclesiastes 12 13 and he sums it up and he says this that's the whole story he says here now is my final conclusion fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty this is everyone's duty fear God obey his commands. In a nutshell, Solomon does for us, he's paved the way for us to actually understand what our responsibilities are in life and how to make decisions. He basically says, here's the grid. And I want to ask you today, could you make this the simple grid for every decision that we make? Now, it might not help you when you're working out which brand of toothpaste to buy at the chemist um, but you know some there are some decisions it doesn't really matter but when it comes to the decisions that have significant consequences if it comes down to this could, could we today decide that fearing God which is not to be afraid of God as in he's out to get us no it means to revere him to respect God to hold him above all else and For him to be the one that we make our decisions by. And then to simply obey what he says. To obey his commands. To do what he asks us to do. Could we today decide for the rest of our story to be about these two things? Fearing God and obeying his commandments. So today as we look at this question of what story do you want your life to tell? I want to tell the story of another person. Not Solomon but another guy who lived... He lived 800 years before Solomon. You go, why are we learning from these people who lived 3,800, 900 years ago? There is so much wisdom for us in this story. So it's a story of this young guy. He was um, he was a 17 year old young man. Young man. You now I think there's some there's some there's some people who are getting close to being 17. There's some people who a little bit past 17, but, uh, but, but there's a few people around about 17 here today. But this 17-year-old young man, uh, something happened in his life and he dreamt, he had dreams and he, he dreamt um, that his 11 brothers would one day bow down to him. Not the kind of dream you'd want to share with your 11 brothers, but he did. And this young man at the age of 17 was his father's favourite. His name was Joseph, his father was Jacob and Jacob treated him as the favourite son. It was a blended family, there were four women involved, 12 children, one dad. It was very blended. But Joseph, this guy Joseph was treated specially and he got the special coat. And this, uh, this special treatment fueled. The other 11 brothers fueled their jealousy, fueled their envy of Joseph, who was the favored one, and they decided to kill him. They threw him in a pit, and then one day, some human traffickers did you know that human trafficking is mentioned in the very first book of the Bible? Human trafficking has been going on for thousands of years, and Joseph, this young man, was a victim of human trafficking. These brothers of his, instead of killing him, they decided to sell him and they sold him just for a few, for a few dollars, not much, to, uh, to, these, to these slave traders. And when the brothers got home and told Dad what had happened to Joseph, they just said, well, he just uh, got killed by a wild animal. They told a big, fat, whopping lie. And uh, his father was grieved. But meanwhile, meanwhile, for Joseph, he's in Egypt and Joseph gets sold to this guy called Potiphar. And Potiphar is the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's army. So, he's been sold into slavery to Potiphar and he's in Potiphar's house. So, imagine what it would be like to be Joseph. He's been kidnapped, he's been sold twice and he's now a slave in Potiphar's house. This is his story, and it's part of his story. And uh, Joseph, though, what does Joseph do? Joseph is really in a no-win situation. But what does he do? He decides to serve Potiphar well. He works hard for him, and he serves him well. And God gave Joseph success in all that he did, And here's what happened. Potiphar noticed Joseph's work. And let's get into the story. We're in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis 39, verse 5 to 7. It says this. From the time that that Potiphar, he, put him in charge, put Joseph in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house And in the field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not have to concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was a little bit not like me. (laughs) Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me picture the scene, Joseph right now is in a no-win situation, he cannot win because Joseph wants to please his master Potiphar and he cannot please his master's wife, he's in a no-win situation, if he goes to bed with her He could lose his life if Potiphar finds out. He could end up in prison, which eventually does happen. Joseph's in this no-win situation. What what will Joseph do when he's in this no-win situation where he's being cornered? He's intentionally being cornered. He's in a spot where he cannot win. What will he do? See, the boss's wife wants Joseph for herself. And... uh, What does he do? And so what I want to do today, as we look at this story of Joseph, there are four themes that come out of Joseph's story. And I'd invite you today to let these four themes be your story. What does Joseph do? In Genesis 39, verse 8 to 10, Joseph does this. He refused. He refused her offer. He refused... And he said this, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke and though she spoke to Joseph day after day he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her despite the temptation and pressure here's the first thing we learn from Joseph Joseph decided to do the right thing Joseph decided to do the right thing and in your story I would invite you in every situation where you're faced with a decision Make the decision to do the right thing. That's what Joseph did. You know, there's an ancient quality that Joseph has that was very rare in in that society back then. This quality wasn't in any of Joseph's brother's life. This quality... As you read the story of Joseph's father, it wasn't in his father's life. If you read the story of Joseph's grandfather, it wasn't in his grandfather's life. And it even wasn't in his great-grandfather's life, this quality, if you read the stories of his ancestry. And I'm talking about the big dogs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Do you know what that quality was? It's an ancient quality, it's rare. It was rare back then. The quality is character. Integrity. Joseph was a man of character and a man of integrity. And he chose to do the right thing. He did what was right. Now, even though Joseph decided that integrity would be his story what happened to him wasn't good. His, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of doing something that he did not do and Joseph's uh, wife made a comment and said, you are making sport of me and she said that to the people and as a result, Potiphar ended up putting Joseph in prison. Joseph decides in prison though, while he's in prison, what does he do? He's a man of character. So what does he do? He serves well. He does his best. And, the, and it's recorded in Genesis 39, 22. Here's what happens. The prison guard, uh, the, 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 in prison over time, he wins the favour of the prison guard. And here's what it says. So the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Now the king, the pharaoh, he had this day where he just lost his block. He lost his temper. He got really, really angry. The pharaoh had with him, he had, he had a baker who baked all the bread for his household. He also had a cupbearer and the cupbearer's job was to taste test the wine to make sure no one had poisoned the wine or that the wine was of good quality. The cupbearer would taste that before the king would drink the wine. And so one day, for whatever reason, we don't, we don't know why, but the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, got really, really mad and he threw two people in prison. The baker, wasn't the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, no, it wasn't them. It was the baker and the cupbearer were thrown into prison because he was really angry with them. And Joseph is in charge of the prison, and what happens? The baker and, uh, not the butcher, the baker and the cupbearer have a dream. Each of them have a dream and they don't know what it means. And Joseph tells them the meaning of the dream. The end result the baker, you're going to lose your head. And the cupbearer, you are going to be restored to your position and you're going to keep tasting wine for the king. Well, it comes true. And Joseph says, Just remember me, cupbearer, when you get out. But he's forgotten. And Joseph's there in prison. He's forgotten. But somehow one day he's summoned before the pharaoh, because something happens with the king. The king is troubled by two dreams that he has and he doesn't know what the meaning of the dreams are. And Joseph tells the king, uh, he tells the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that God knows what these dreams are about. I love this about Joseph. Joseph doesn't say, I know what these dreams are about. Joseph says to the king, God knows what these dreams are about and that God has shown the king what he has decided to do and that God is going to do it soon. And Joseph tells the pharaoh what's going to happen and he says this, there's going to be seven years of great harvest, seven years of abundance in Egypt and then there's going to be, that's going to be followed by seven years of drought, of famine, of disaster for Egypt. And now Joseph does something absolutely extraordinary. Let's have a look at the story. This is amazing. In Genesis 41, 33 to 36, it says this Joseph says to the Pharaoh, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food um, of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that are coming upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Now, what's extraordinary about what Joseph has just done is this. Joseph took a risk for the sake of others. Joseph took a risk for the sake of others because there is no guarantee that the king wasn't going to say, well, who do you think you are? Or there's no reason for the king to say, well, back to prison you go. Or, Joseph, you're talking too much. I'm the king, not you. I'm the one who makes decisions around here, not you. That's what could have happened to Joseph. But that's not what happens. Joseph, with trust in God, sees the challenges ahead for the king. And he tells the king what to do. And the king, who could have told him to shut up or put him back in prison, how does the king respond? How does the Pharaoh respond? It says this in 37 to 40, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh... And to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom the Spirit of God is in. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one more discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit. To your orders, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph now, think about what he's been through. He's been in a pit. He's been in Potiphar's house. He's been in prison. He's been forgotten. And now he's the governor or the prime minister of Egypt. He gets to work. And for seven years they store the grain. And here's the thing about Joseph: Joseph devotes himself to saving others. Joseph devotes himself to saving lives. This is a great principle in the life of Joseph that can be part of our story too. You see, the drought years come, and then there's enough food. uh, You know, when there's enough, Egypt's got enough food to not just feed its own people, but other nations come, and not only do other nations come. Uh, to, to Egypt to buy food but one day without knowing that Joseph is now the governor and not knowing what Joseph looks like, one day his brothers come to Egypt because their nation is in drought and one day his brothers bow before him, they bow before him wanting grain. Eventually Joseph tells them who he is, What will they, they're scared, they're fearing for their life because of what they did to Joseph. But Joseph is a different man. He's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. And he's a man who forgives. He forgives his brothers for what they did. And the next thing that happens is, what does Joseph do? In Genesis 50 verse 19 to 20 it says this. Joseph said to them don't be afraid am I in the place of God you intended to harm me he knew that they hated him he knew that they wanted to kill him he knew that they put him into prison but you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives now I don't know about you, but I've told this story of Joseph about three or four times in the last three or four months at church, either here or at, or at Tara, at Taramara. And this story, I believe there's a deeper reason why this story is popping up all the time. I believe that this story, the story of God's work in the life of Joseph and God's work in this story and what God is doing in this story is a powerful message for Northside Church. I think we need to read the story of Joseph. I think we need to get into it and learn the lessons from Joseph's life for our own life. So much of it is got stuff for us to live by, but here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph didn't point to himself. In his response to his brothers, he could have, but he didn't. What did Joseph do? joseph pointed people to god joseph pointed people to god you know there are so many uh, similarities between joseph and another man another man who lived a long time ago another man who lived many years after joseph because this man experienced a lot of what joseph did Joseph's story points to another man, it's the story of Jesus. Because in Jesus, with Jesus, just like Joseph, Jesus was mocked by his family, was sold for money, was handed over to others and he was falsely accused, he was tempted but he refused to do what was wrong. Just like Joseph, Jesus decided to do the right thing. And just like Joseph, Jesus also stood before powerful people. He stood before rulers and he let them know what God was going to do. And Jesus took a risk for the sake of others. He surrendered himself, he actually gave his life, he surrendered himself over to those rulers, knowing that they would torture him, beat him, bash him, accuse him falsely and eventually crucify him. Jesus took a risk for the sake of others and just like Joseph, Jesus was humiliated but later exalted. He fulfilled God's purpose despite great personal costs. Jesus devoted himself to saving others. He gave people bread, physical bread, but he said, I have come to give you the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus was saying, I'm the one in whom there is eternal life. And just like Joseph, Jesus pointed people to God. When he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he was on the cross... He said, it is finished. In other words, the work, Father, that you have given me to do, I'm done, I've done it. I've done everything I needed to do here. It's finished. And then, as his arms were outstretched on that cross, he said this, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, while he's on the cross, is with his words and his actions and all that's going on, he's pointing people to God. I think these four statements are so powerful that if we could just let these soak into our being and that we could allow these four things to be the themes and the chapters and the scenes of our decisions and our life, we will write a story. You know... What story will your life tell? So many of us want our lives to count. So many of us want to be remembered. So many of us do things because we want people to notice. So many of us do things because we want to be famous or we want to be, we, we want to, you know what? What's really, really important in my life and in your life is that we don't live to be Remembered.